0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, the heat's on. Yay! <laughs> Last week was a wee bit chilly. Uh, I want to point out something in your uh, bulletins. It's not February 10th. <laughs> Just point that out so no one sends me an email. Did you know that? Yes, 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 I know. Uh, but Back to the Future is my favorite movie, so... All right. <clears throat> As Don read that text, I hope that as you heard those words, they encouraged you. And I hope that you know, as we've been going through this series, Compelled to Replicate, we've been wanting to give tenets of discipleship. We've wanted to remove the excuse, I don't know how to disciple. And so today we're gonna talk about the sixth tenant, measurement. Did you know that retirement is not something that most people plan for? Did you guys know this? Especially in today's culture. Retirement or later is just that, it's later. People aren't thinking about later, they're thinking about the here and now. But the great thing about investments is that if done wisely, there will be a return on your investment. Now if you've ever heard me teach, you've probably heard this before, I don't want us for a second to think that Christianity is about us about what we get out of it. It's about Jesus and what he has done and the identity that we get to receive from his work and not our own. But with that, we do experience a type of return on God's investment when he opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel and indwells, or the word that's used in Ephesians, deposits his spirit into those who are now identifying themselves with Christ Jesus. So I'm going to take you to a a passage that we read last week. We're just going to start with this, and then we're going to do a lot of our work in 1 Timothy. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. In the beginning of this chapter, he says, verse 13, and you also were included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. God sees a return on his investment. He invests his spirit in those who repent and follow Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, is the deposit of our future inheritance. And when he deposits his spirit... Our eyes, we've now been able to see the spiritual rather than just the physical, which makes us, because the spirit indwells us, makes us alive spiritually. Now here's the thing, alive things grow. Did you guys know that? Like even if you're getting older, your ears and your nose are still growing. I know it's kind of weird, but they're still growing. Alive things grow. And if we have the spirit of God in us, the evidence of that is spiritual growth both exponentially and incrementally. And here's the thing about me, I'm pretty pessimistic. I'm just pessimistic, and when people are asking me about how things are going, things are pretty great, like church is going really well, family's healthy, loving Jesus, loving my wife, loving my kids, like things are pretty great, but I'm pessimistic, so it's like I have nothing to complain about, so I complain about that. But here's the one place I am pretty optimistic. It's spiritually. Someone may come to me and start to tell me about their their walk with the Lord or start to tell me about a friend of theirs or someone that they know, and they might say something like this, well, they're not a believer, and the first thing I say, the first thing I think is yet, because the thing I know about my God is he can save anyone at any time in any place with any means necessary that he chooses. That's how good our God is. So when someone says, oh, they're not a Christian, I just think, not yet. So we, because Jesus told us to in the Great Commission, but also because we love him, we invest in people. Jesus told us to do it, and we pour out our lives into others. We give of our time, our treasure, and our talents. So how do we know if we have seen a return on our investment as we give of these things? It's through growth seen over an extended period of time. It's through growth seen over an extended period of time. And here's the thing I want to make clear. You might be thinking the person you invest in, but you might forget the fact that when we pour out, we grow. As we give away, we have the opportunity to grow. So today, we're going to discuss measurement, the sixth tenet of discipleship in this training series that we've had as we conclude this sermon series. Now, we often confuse measurement with judging, but let me make this clear. The Bible does teach that we ought to pay attention to those who identify themselves with Christ. We ought to pay attention to their spiritual growth. We ought to pay attention to their pursuit of Jesus. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth, man, were they good at messing stuff up, weren't they? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? He's asking this question, and a lot of people misunderstand what he means. He says, are you not to judge those inside? Paul is rebuking the church in Corinth for attempting to have the same standard for those that don't identify themselves with Jesus, those that are outside of the church. He's rebuking them for having the same standard or judging them by the same standard as we ought to judge those who claim that they follow Jesus. But the fact is, and this we might not like this, there is a standard, there is an assumption of following Christ that manifests itself if you are included in Christ and truly identify with him. There is spiritual growth that takes place. The tough part about this is we often track things that are less subjective in quantification, but they're not actually indicative of spiritual growth. Here's what I mean by this. We will focus on things we can do, like baptism, well, I was baptized, or church attendance, Or in some traditions, confirmation. I went through these classes. And even giving. We'll start to think those who give the most are the most spiritual. But we can see in scripture that isn't necessarily the point. And none of these things are bad in and of themselves. But we miss out. Don't miss this. We miss out on the relational aspect of personally noticing growth in those that we walk with. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23a, we did an entire series on this during the summer called uh, Live by the Spirit. Paul's speaking to the church in Galatia and he's explaining what the Holy Spirit produces in people that are following the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in people that are actually following Jesus. But be careful, because if you're praying for patience, God will give you four kids. No, God will give you opportunities to actually have to exercise patience. You ever notice that? These are the ones that we often look at, but the reason I always make a point to say that it's fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit, is because this is a holistic thing. God is growing us in all of these things. And God grows us in these, and we ought to look at these and celebrate these things when we're seeing God grow us in these things. But I want us to go to a passage today that came as an encouragement. It was an encouragement. Paul was writing to the young pastor, Timothy. He was, Paul was a discipler in Timothy's life. He was a voice in Timothy, Timothy's life. And he writes to encourage Timothy, and this pastor was leading a church that had people that were coming to the church that were attempting to point the church away from the gospel. I'm glad that never happens anymore. Now, here's the thing. Disclaimer. It's really easy to pat this passage on its head and think, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a pastor and even if you don't get paid by a 501c3 nonprofit religious organization, may I remind you, if you've come into contact with Jesus Christ, you are an image bearer. You are a minister of reconciliation. So let's see what he has to say. Verse 7 is where we'll start of 1 Timothy 4. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Don't fill your mind with things that are not the truth of God. I I just want to brag on this this week. It was a short, quick conversation that, that Mike and I had, but Robin is our office manager, and she gets a ton of mail, and it goes on her desk, and then she sorts it, and Mike walks by and sees that we got sent this magazine from a cult. And Mike looked at it, picked it up, and put it in the trash can. And I want to affirm that, because too often, we just listen to anyone who's a good communicator. We listen to anything that's shiny, anything that's going to, what the Bible says, tickle our ears. And if it's not the truth of God, we don't need to fill our minds with these things, because if we fill our minds with things that are not of God, guess what? There isn't room for the truth of God. And what Paul is telling Timothy to do is literally have nothing to do with things that are not true. But train yourself, employ yourself with godliness. Godliness in this context means the spiritual act of worship. It means to be more Christ like, but it means to live your life as a worship service to God. So we don't just worship here, y'all, we worship daily. We worship day by day. We worship moment by moment as we live our lives for the king. So devote yourselves to the training of your worship of God. Verse 8, for, tr- tr- for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Paul is contrasting physical training in the building up of one's physical prowess. So just so you guys know, you know, real quick, uh, accountability, I've ran 44 miles since January 25th. What, what? I even have two pairs of running pants, so I might almost be a runner. Ask me next week. And building up of our physical prowess, there's some, there's good things to that, but it's not necessarily the point because Paul is contrasting Your physical prowess with the building up of our godliness, our metamorphosis into someone who is conformed into the image of Christ. One is physical, which has some value, he says, and one is spiritual, which has infinite value in this life and the next. I wish there were more people on their face praying January 1st than going to the gym, is what he's saying. Verse 9. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I had to read this and I had to wrestle with it because it's interesting. It almost sounds like what he's about to say is what he was talking about, but I believe it's what he just said to remind us of our future hope, to remind us of the fact that we ought to be training ourselves in godliness, training ourselves to be godly, training ourselves, not forcing ourselves, but actually living in such a way that God gets to sanctify us and change us. And Paul concludes this argument with this trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. The fact is, if we build up our physical bodies, it's of some use, but it isn't as important as our spiritual growth, well-being, and our progress in the Lord. Okay, it's difficult, it's difficult naturally to think about your future, let alone your eternity. To think that the investment of your time, your treasure, your talents in this life will make a difference in eternity. It's difficult to believe that sometimes, but hear me from the Word of God it will. It does. And we must look to God's Word to be reminded that our effort for the King who has adopted us will never be in vain if we're doing our work and our service for Him. I like to confess things from the music stand pulpit. And this week's been hard. This week's been a harder week for me emotionally. In fact, I might have had the worst dream of my life, and it showed me my biggest fear in this life. And I've had what many would assume are spiritual attacks. I've had doubts about my own abilities. I've experienced what a friend reminded me is persecution. And it's come in the form of someone who has always been an encouragement to me turning on me like that, out of nowhere. And it seemed that there was this assumption that I was supposed to please them rather than God, but it took me a while to actually realize that's what was happening. But it was weird, I ran to the Bible to find encouragement. I ran to the actual word of God to find encouragement. And it was the words of God that reminded me that even though this was a change of a relationship really quick, and I couldn't really focus all week. And I changed what passage I was teaching on Thursday. Sorry. Maybe the other one was better. I have no idea. But it was God's words that, bless my soul, here's what he says in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Hallelujah. But I have, what's that word? Chosen you out of the world. See, you didn't earn it. You didn't earn my love. I chose you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. It kind of sounds negative, doesn't it? But it's actually incredibly positive if you look at these words because God decided to bring us into relationship with him and the world's gonna hate us because we don't look just like the world. For the Christian, those who represent Jesus, we must keep an eternal perspective because this world, in this world, we will not be popular We might be cool within a small sphere of other Christians, possibly, but we will not be popular or understood or even liked because we are to the best of our abilities attempting to please God rather than man. So some of you are like, no, everyone likes me. Okay, do you represent Jesus? And that will rub against the world's perspective of the here and now. See, I want to play the long game, church. I want to play the long game spiritually. I want to be thinking about the future. I want to think about what 10 years from now Tim needs now to grow into the person that I'll become. How am I training myself in godliness today in the hope of tomorrow? Verse 10. That is why we labor and strive. Because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. May I just point out, we do not worship a dead God. He is alive, he is working, he is living, and he changes and transforms people because he did not save us and then leave us. But he gave us his Spirit, the Holy Spirit who makes us holy, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe, the living God. See, dealing with persecution, by being encouraged by God's word, is playing the long game in a world that is on a miniature golf course. Do you know what I'm saying? Thinking spiritually rather than physically could make us miserable if we don't have our eyes fixated on Jesus, our living and personal and future hope. His gift of grace is offered to everyone, and no one is a bigger sinner than God is a gift giver. Somebody give me an amen. But for those who have already put their trust in King Jesus King, they have a hope now that supersedes the current trials and temptations this world may attempt to throw at us. Verse 11, command, I love that word, and teach these things. Timothy, Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus, teach these things. Point people to the doctrine of grace. Point them to the living hope. Give them reason to believe that Jesus is enough and where true hope is found in Jesus Christ's work for us. Starting next week, we're going to continue equipping. But as we've been going through the series, we've had the opportunity. To teach how to invest in others through practical steps of investment, simple ways of pointing people to application through conversation. And next week, we're going to start to equip us on how to see those around us not as projects, but individuals created in God's image who need to be reconciled back to Him through the good news of the gospel. We're going to teach people how to bring up Jesus in a way that isn't crazy awkward. We're gonna teach people how to look for the opportunities where you may see God drawing people to Himself and He wants to use you. Verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. I love this verse, except I'm not that young anymore. Don't let anyone look down on you. A lot of you are taller than me. Don't look, no, that's not what it means. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers. And we're going to do some work here in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Don't let anyone despise your youth. Do you know who's young in this room? (laughs) It's subjective, isn't it? Don't let anyone despise your youth. Don't let anyone use your youth as an excuse Which is which Paul is meaning in a physical sense. Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, so they can use it as an excuse not to hear the message that you bring. We tend to judge others based on age. Is this fair? Yes, don't lie. We think they don't have enough experience because they're young. But man, I've met some people that are older and seasoned that aren't very experienced. Do you know what I'm saying? Listen, it's not about your build date. It's about your mileage. What have you experienced? What have you gone through? What have you learned? And the experiences that you have, I I need you to hear this, the experiences that you have, guess what? They are for your sanctification process. Did you guys know that? For the building up, for the refining, for the transforming, for your life to be conformed into the image of Lord Jesus, but that will come through obedience? Obedience? And will come through the experiences that usually end in failure. To mess up, to do it wrong. So if you're going to fail, which you are, I don't know if that's surprising to any of you. If you're going to fail, I promise you that you will, and I promise you that you do, but fail forward. Failing forward means that you learn from your mistakes. It's okay to fail. It's not okay to learn nothing from your failures. A lot of us, this is a movie for me and those in kind of my generation, a lot of us spiritually are going through Groundhog Day. Bill Murray, anyone? Thank you. Where every day he wakes up to the exact same day and he has to go through the exact same things. And here's the thing. Some of us are going through the same trials we were dealing with 10 years ago we have the opportunity to repent we have the opportunity to put into practice the things that we ought to do and maybe the trial won't change but the thing we learn from it will because we're obeying that's good verse 12 one more time don't let anyone look down on you because you are young but set an example for the believers in speech in conduct in love in faith and in purity Set an example, Paul is making known what Timothy, a minister of the gospel, and really what ministers of reconciliation ought to be measured by. He uses five things, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. So hear me, as we're investing in people, we want to help believers, we want to help Christians, we want to help followers of Jesus grow. And it'd be easy to just fixate only on the fruit of the Spirit which is a great example of the Holy Spirit being present and changing us and working on us. But these attributes, if you will, they are practical and able to be seen more in real time through experiences and opportunities to fail. So let's, let's pick them apart because that's what I like to do. Speech. What do you talk about most? Think back to your last seven days. What do you talk about most? Because here's the thing, our language is a direct window into our soul. Did you guys know that? What we talk about most is probably what we value most. So what do we talk about this week? Our language should change. I'm not talking about cussing. What I'm talking about is the things that we talk about most ought to change as we pursue Jesus. As we are dominated by the Spirit, as the Word of God washes over us and we put it into practice, our language should change. When I had social media, you know, a long time ago, like two weeks before I got off, I would ask people who they would not identify themselves as Christians. They would not identify themselves as followers of Jesus. I asked them based on what I posted most, What did they assume I valued most? And here's what they said literally across the board, almost everyone I asked. They said, You value your church and your family, which is kind of right. I'd say I value my Savior and my immediate dependents. And when I would post, I would attempt to use the name of Jesus rather than the name of God. I'm all for God, obviously but mostly because our society can construe God into anything that they want, can't they? Well, God's in the tree. God's not in the tree, okay? Relax. But Jesus, the only son of God, he's a bit more polarizing, isn't he? The way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. The resurrected king, this guy. And I hope that by bringing up Jesus... It would create opportunities for those in my sphere of influence to question why I talk so much about some carpenter from Nazareth. So I want us to think as followers of Christ that what we talk about is important, but also our conduct, our lifestyle, that it ought to be different than the world at large. It ought to look different. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but is the way that we live in our lives the way we live our lives out loud, is it in contrast to the person who does not have any real eternal hope? Does it look any different? It ought to be. So Paul is saying to Timothy, set an example with your words and your actions. Essentially, set an example with everything you do, is what he's saying. But he also says in love, oh, oh, there are people I wish were here to hear this sermon. I'm just saying. Because we misunderstand the view of what love means in the bible so often okay is it just me okay all right thanks max appreciate it i'm going to give you a definition you ready the love that the bible is talking about is to put another's needs before your own that's what it means To put another's needs before your own. Think of our king. Think of Jesus Christ. He put our needs before his own. He put God and what God the Father wanted him to do before him. So love isn't selfish. Could you imagine if we were to do this for everyone around us? Could you imagine how messed up certain, you know, It would be really hard to condemn Christians like Christians get condemned in society if we truly put others' needs before our own. And Paul says to the church in Philippi to be like Jesus. And then he says in verse 3 of chapter 2, do nothing, you know what nothing means in Greek, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Well, I'm guilty. I've already done that today. Rather... In humility, root word for humility, humiliation. In humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Take care of, help, be a part of helping someone who can't pay you back. That's the religion God accepts, according to the book of James. James. So as we grow and as we invest in others, we ought to be watching for this. If I'm investing in you, I'm looking to see how less selfish you're becoming. How you're loving other people that can't pay you back. Are you valuing others' needs above your own? So I wanna brag on, let's see. Brooke, hi Brooke. I wanna brag on Brooke because this (laughs) this past Friday night Brooke, uh, weeks before, text Aaron Riley, our children's director, and said, hey, Aaron, would it be okay if we got a bunch of young adults to come and watch kids, Valentine's Day week, I don't know which night, but it ended up being Friday night, could we watch these kids so those with young kids could come and have a date night? Wasn't my idea. Wasn't Aaron's idea? This was an idea of Brooke, and God had put on her heart, and, and she wanted to do this for the young families. Now, let me just tell you this right now. That was gold. Can I get an amen from some parents? Amen. Woo! That was so good. Some people are like, I'm getting sushi. Some people are like, I'm going to bed. You know, like, it was awesome. It was so great to watch many young adults that are here today invest and love on our kids and play with them and, and get a lot of steps on their Apple watches. It was legit. <laughs> But well, you know who the unsung hero of that event was? It was Aaron Riley, our children's director. And she's my wife, so I'm just going to put this I'm not trying to get point Shane in here, but she did hear this first service. But I'm not going to we're about to go on vacation, but that's not why I'm talking about her. Because Aaron works tirelessly to pour into our kids to make sure that our kids don't have childcare. Let IKEA do childcare. We invest in our children and make sure that they know about Jesus. And so Aaron made sure that all the young adults that were gonna pour in and love on these kids were fingerprinted and they were legiticus. She made sure that these kids were gonna be safe. She set up the room, she went to Costco and picked up the pizzas. She did everything but be there the whole time to make sure that the children were safe, entertained, and invested in. Our love is what the world will know us for. And so, it's when people are willing to put someone else's needs before their own, it's one of our best apologetics one of our best evangelistic men we should still speak the message but man if our life isn't conducive to what we're preaching people have an excuse don't they it's our love for others and our love for god it is a measuring stick that shows that god has actually gotten into us so loving one another don't miss this if you want to take away here's a good one loving one another is a metric for our understanding and obedience to the gospel Loving one another, putting other people's needs before our own. At the beginning of the year, I was getting asked by a bunch of different people, hey, what would you like to have happen here, da-da-da? And here was my answer. I would love for our church to have better hermeneutics, okay? Some of you have no idea what I just said. Praise God for that. But I want us to be a church that understands what this says. And I want us to be a church that when we understand what this says, we actually do what it says. That's what happens. And so, but here's the thing in a real practical level. John, you need practical. Where's John? John. John wants practical. You ready? How we put other people's needs before our own because of the Holy Spirit is a great hermeneutic. It's a great understanding of the Word of God and how it actually speaks To us, So if we realize we have been saved by God's grace and mercy alone, and no one deserves the salvation that some of us have inherited, no one deserves Christ's impartation, then we can love others, even when we don't understand or agree with them. Because Christ has made a way for them and for us, if they're included in Christ Jesus, to partake in Christ's victory because he's alive. So set an example. In speech, In conduct, the way you live your life, in love and in faith. All right, we gotta do some work. Because for faith, a lot of us are just assuming the person that is just really excitable for Jesus. Anyone think of Gabe? I did. (laughs) But the work in Gabe's life is not just that he's excited for Jesus, it comes out of the understanding that he ought to be faithful to Jesus, he ought to be committed to Jesus. And so this is what he's talking about. He's not just talking about being uber excited because if you're uber excited today, guess what, next week's another week, isn't it? You might not be as excited. He's talking about a faithfulness, a commitment. Do you know why I'm excited about Jesus? Because none of you can convince me that he didn't rise from the dead. I'm sure of it. Not just because I know all the apologetics, because I met with him this morning, and he's alive, and he can be known. And he is transforming people to look more like him. So set an example of being faithful. Okay, this is gonna sound like I'm just talking to young adults. I'm not, I'm talking to all of you, all right? So if you don't know if you're a young adult, you're not, okay? All right. If you'll say you're gonna be somewhere, you ready? Be there. (laughs) If you're expected, do everything you can to do what you're expected to do. And if you can't, and you're going to put other people out, do everything you can to help restore those people so they're not put out. When Paul talks to Timothy, he's saying, allow your life to be one that others can count on. Allow your life to be one that others can count on. Allow your life to not be an excuse for someone else to not follow Jesus. If you want to be invested in, okay, so I hope that's all of us. If you want to be invested in, I'm going to use an acronym, and this acronym may offend, but it's just an acronym, so save your angry emails for your congressman, okay? You ready? Here it is. F-A-T. You need to be faithful, available, and teachable. I cannot, you cannot invest in someone who are not these things. Because if they are even just two of these things, they're really not ready to be invested in. Because their priorities really aren't to grow and be discipled because they have other things that are taking their attention away from that. But do you want to know if you're ready to invest in others? You don't have to be a master teacher. You don't have to be an expert. You know what you got to be? You ready? It's crazy. You need to be faithful, available, and teachable. Because we produce what we are, don't we? And if we're not faithful, available, and teachable, we can't expect the people we invest in to be the same. It goes both ways. So set an example in speech. Set an example in conduct, your lifestyle. Set an example in love, putting others' needs before your own. Set an example in your faithfulness, your commitment. And set an example in purity. <sighs> Why'd you have to go there, Paul? See, I can fake the others. I can fake the others. I can get other people to be pat me on the back. Yeah, good job, you're faithful, that's great, blah, blah, blah. But this one is one that God really knows and and others can think you are, but this is between you and God in particular. We need to admit, confess, and have accountability, have accountable people in our lives to share when we stumble. And real quick, we all do. We're all even at the foot of the cross. We need to have people that we share when we stumble, but again, it's only failure that we don't learn from that's true failure. So don't keep falling into the same sin. If being on the internet late at night is where you are tempted the most, turn off your phone, turn off your Wi-Fi, turn off your brain and go to sleep. If you have an inappropriate emotional relationship with someone who isn't your spouse or significant other, In the famous words of the great theologian, Bob Newhart, stop it. Repent and live like the Holy Spirit resides in you. God, don't play games. And it is our growth in these areas that we ought to set an example of that others can see and that they can celebrate as well. I'm so excited about growth in the people of this church. And as I look around, I could totally brag on all of you, and then I'd go way over time, and nobody wants that. But I could. And we've seen exponential growth. We've celebrated exponential growth. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to celebrate incremental growth as well, because spiritual growth is evidence of God. God. You might not be growing as fast as you want. You might not be growing as fast as this person or that person or that person, but man, I've seen God do works in many of you because at the end of the day, you're willing to trust God at His Word and we get to do this together. Hallelujah. All of us want to be like someone who comes to Christ and is all of a sudden perfect, but here's the thing that doesn't happen, it takes time we want to encourage one another in community groups. We want to encourage one another in discipleship relationships and even in friendships. We want to point out where we see God working in one another's lives because if we don't point it out, who will? We might not know that we're growing because no one's told us that we're growing. Have you shared with anyone this week where you've seen God do something in their life? I'd encourage you. That is a great application. In the Church of Jesus... We'll see someone take two steps forward and then they'll take one step back and we will demonize the one step back and we will forget to celebrate the one step forward. Let's not be that church. Let's not be a church that misunderstands the gospel because spiritual growth is evidence of God. Verse 13, finally. Verse 13, until I come... Devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Paul is speaking to Timothy, this pastor. He's making known that we ought to read scripture. Paul was encouraging Timothy to continue on making the word known in public gatherings. Here's the thing. The word of God transforms us when we put it into practice for pure motives. It transforms us. Howard Hendricks is one of my favorite uh, Professors and writers and all that and he's, he's, he's dead so we can talk about him in the sermon he's gone to be with the Lord he says the Bible is the divine means of developing spiritual maturity there is no other way have you ever used language like this oh I went to church and I got fed this week come on raise your hand so I can make fun of you don't raise I'm just kidding <laughs> but here's the thing we serve a meal don't we? We serve a meal. You are here not getting all your steps, but I am. Haha, ha, Mike and John So and Keith. So, but, but we serve a meal, and that meal is full of Scripture. It's full of the Word, and it's about picking apart the Word because we believe the Word changes us. We don't want to give you human wisdom. You can go on YouTube and listen to a TED Talk all day. We're going to open the Word of God and let you hear it and let you see it and with the hope that the Holy Spirit leads you to do something with it. Verse 14, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. This is one of the reasons that we lay hands on our missionaries. This is one of the reasons we lay hands on our teachers and pastors, because there is something special about publicly affirming what we see God doing in individuals. Verse 15, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Daily die to yourself and do these things. Focus eternally and give yourself to the ministry of Christ Jesus. I say this every week in some form, but every week someone hears it and it makes sense to them for the first time, so I'm gonna keep saying it. You don't earn or lose your salvation. You appreciate the gift of your salvation with your obedience to Christ. You guys know what I mean? You don't earn it. You didn't earn it. God gave it to you, and your obedience is not to earn. It's to appreciate the fact that God's gotten into you. So why do we do this? So others may see your progress. So others may question the results of your lives. Others may see the growth in you and be inquisitive to how and why this has happened and your job is to be prepared with an answer. Well, man, you're so much different. Why? Because I go to church. That's the wrong answer. And if we are discipling others, oh, I really want us to hear this. If we are discipling others, we get a front row seat to someone's progress in the faith. We get a front row seat to their faithfulness, to the transformation of their conformity of the likeness of Jesus. We get to be a time lapse watching someone be transformed. If we don't tell them they are growing, they just might not know. Verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely, not if your name's Tim, but everyone watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Oh, have I heard people ruin this verse. Do you see where they could ruin it? Well, you can save yourself. Eh, No. He says, watch your life. Pay attention to what you intake and how you output. Watch how you view God closely. Is it Consistent with the scriptures that you adhere to. How are you living consistently with what you believe about your God? Persevere, endure, because if you do, God will use you to see others come into relationship with Him. Using you, it's one of the most exciting things that happens. First service, we actually had three guys who have come to faith in the last few months at this church, and they're all being baptized on March 3rd. Rob Anderson, Jason Martin, Caesar Alvarez. And they stood up in front of the church, and people applauded for him and everything. And I, I didn't really want to make much of them. I just wanted to let people know that there are people coming to faith, and they're outwardly showing what they believe inwardly by being baptized. And we get to celebrate this together. And so you're not saved by what you do, but Paul is pointing out that perseverance in the truth, it's actual evidence that your true belief is true belief in God. So let's end where we started about seven weeks ago. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Jesus is on the mountainside, there's a bunch of his disciples, and he then comes to them and says, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. I am the author, all authority is given to me. Therefore, what's therefore, therefore? All authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciplined pupils of Jesus in relationship. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Love God and love others. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the return on God's investment, church, is that we would be and we would make disciples. We would make disciplined pupils in relationship who are growing to look more like Jesus through obedience to him for the right reasons. Worship team, would you come on up as we're about to close. Charles Francis Adams, a 19th century political figure and diplomat, kept a diary and one day he entered went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. His son, Brooke Adams, also kept a diary, which is still in existence today. And on fishing on fishing on that exact same day, the entry that he had said, went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. The father thought he was wasting time while he fished with his son, but his son saw it as an investment of time. The only way to tell the difference between wasting and investing is to know one's ultimate purpose in life and judge accordingly. So we've walked through over this past many weeks teaching, not just instilling information, but making the learner want to learn more, facilitating conversations of what we're already learning, and also teaching the truth, accountability, that we do better when we know someone's watching Life on life, more is caught than taught. We want to do life with people and we want to learn from people that are a little farther ahead than us in mileage. Mentorship, the act of being given guidance and putting it into practice. Application to not just be a hearer of the word but to be a doer, someone who actually lives in doing the word of God and measurement. To not just condemn the one step back but to celebrate growth because spiritual growth is evidence of God. So these six things, this is not on Mondays I do teaching, Tuesdays I do accountability, and so on. That's not what this is talking about. What this is is a filter. As I invest in people, as people invest in me, as you invest in someone, my hope is that you're looking to make sure that the people around you are getting all six of these things. And here's the crazy part. If you're discipling someone, you don't have to do all six. You just have to make sure all six are done. So sometimes people I invest in have accountability partners so they don't have to tell me all their junk. That's okay. When it's a big thing, they'll tell me. But sometimes, people that I teach, they do life on life with somebody else. That's okay. But we want to be disciple makers, and so this is a filter. And then we gave the four questions, and really, it's you sit in front of someone, or you stand, which would be awkward, but you spend time with somebody, and you just go through the four questions. Because they point towards actually doing something with what you've heard, rather than just reading it and going, well, that was a good sermon. Consistency is key. So I'm gonna end with a story that many of you know, but I feel like it's gotta frame this entire series. A Few years back, I was sitting in Pete's, big shock, I know. And I'm hanging out at Pete's, and I was gonna meet with, who is now one of our elders, John Colburn. And John and I were meeting, and he asked if I would disciple him, and I wasn't really sure if, if that was the right thing to do at the time and everything, and so we just started to meet. And after a while, it was very obvious that we were in a discipleship relationship. And so one day, John, meeting with me, and if you know John, you know, he's like, <laughs> he's like, hey, bro, why do you invest in me? And I went, so, so I'll grow. And John's like, oh, and he writes in his journal, right? And so we're leaving. You know, we did the four questions. We prayed together. About to walk out the door, guys always hug and do the right, like that's what we do. Father, son, Holy Spirit, and (laughs) and as John, as I'm patting John, he's holding me close, and he whispers in my ear, "Sweet nothings." No, he whispers in my ear, "You're welcome." That's pretty good theology. Because when we invest in someone, we grow. And those people that we get to invest in, they are a blessing from God, even if they're overly sanctifying, if you know what I mean. But we're looking for people that are faithful, available, and teachable. And here's the thing. These can just be words. You can say, I went through a discipleship training at church and not do anything with it. But disciples, disciple.